Hello and welcome to another episode of Serial Sightseers, the travel and true crime podcast, where we tell you the tips and tricks for visiting a city around the world, and then try to scare you away a little bit with a spooky true crime story. I'm Cassidy, Allie's on the other end of the microphone. Welcome back if you joined us the past couple of weeks, and if this is your first episode, welcome to the podcast. We'll try and make this the most exciting one we've done yet. Um, personally, I haven't been to Nashville, so I'm very intrigued to see what you have for us this week, Allie. Yes, this week we're headed to Nashville, Tennessee, the music capital of the United States. Country music, good food, and a whole lot to do. I was in Nashville about a year ago. We went the weekend before Easter, and so it was like in April of last year. And I was just so charmed by this city. So researching it again made me pretty excited to tell you everything there is to do. Yeah, we both love country music. So I think this one hits a bit closer to home because, you know, what better place to see country music than the heart of where it all kind of kicked off. Absolutely. And I think a great part about Nashville, too, is it's the country music capital, but there's still so much to do that has nothing to do with country music. So if you hate country music, like some of people do. <laughs> there's a very active food scene, there's museums, there's professional sports. It's pretty hard to run out of things to do in Nashville. Oh, you're gonna make me hungry too? <laughs> oh yeah, oh, I'm making you hungry by the end of this episode. Oh, I can't wait. All right, let's hear it. Well, first off, let's buckle up, put on our cowboy boots and our cowboy hat and get into the country music scene. <laughs> In Nashville, one of the most famous things to do is to visit the Country Music Hall of Fame. The Country Music Hall of Fame is a giant museum auditorium that has a lot of interactive exhibits. It's about the history and rich culture of the country music scene in Nashville and around the country. Throughout the whole museum, there are hundreds of thousands of articles of clothing worn by country singers of the past and of the present. There's of rotating exhibits on the country music, either artist or band, and it details their whole career. And so when I went, it was Little Big Town, and it detailed how they started all the way through, showed some of their outfits from the country music awards and through some of their bigger performances. There's a lot of memorabilia, like different country stars' instruments and cars even. There's three cars in this museum. Wow, that's incredible. Like just full life-size cars in front of you. The literal cars. Cassidy, can you guess whose cars are in there? Just um, one. Elvis Think Presley? Yes, Elvis ah, Presley. Yes. <laughs> I was like, I'm not sure if he's quite country, but I, not I feel necessarily like that would the be... most country of them all, but he definitely did cross over and his big, huge full gold in quotation marks uh <laughs> Cadillac is in there and it is ginormous it's a Cadillac limousine it's insane how large it is so it's a real treat to be able to go through the country music hall of fame uh especially for me someone who loves country music getting to feel like you know the stars are really talking to you with all the memorabilia there's a lot of videos there's 
little, you know, make your own music workshops. So they, it's a good stop. You can spend anywhere from an hour to three hours in there, depending on how much you want to read. Yeah, you've seen a lot of museums. So that definitely says something that this one stands out. And you say it feels like they are talking to you sometimes, like the videos? Yeah, they have voice clips all throughout where you can listen to people tell a little bit of their story in country music. There's a lot of videos as well. And it's neat because they have these records dating back to the 1920s and maybe even earlier. And so there's a lot of audio records that either they you can only find there at the Country Music Hall of Fame or are pretty rare. So it's neat to see some very old videos and audio clips of the early country music stars. The next spot in the country music tour is, of course, the Grand Ole Opry. The Grand Ole Opry is a radio show and started as a radio show in 1925. And it's really what gave Nashville its name for country music. It's a country music radio show that also has live tapings. And so people came from all over the country to watch this show in the early 1900s and they still can today. The Grand Ole Opry has members of their Opry. And so it's um, to become a member, you have to be very distinguished in the country music profession. So it's an incredible honor to be a member of the Grand Ole Opry and to be able to perform on the show. So while you're in Nashville, you can go see a show and you can even tour backstage and get a full tour of the Opry. I saw Luke Combs was just a member recently and that was like a very big deal to him because it marked something that he'd been working towards for a long time. It's definitely a huge milestone in their careers, right? Yeah, absolutely. And for a lot of country music stars, you know, they've been listening to Grand Ole Opry or their idols have been members of the Grand Ole Opry. So being able to be on that same stage, I bet, is pretty special. Oh, yeah, definitely. I didn't even think about it that way, that they've been probably listening to it growing up. Definitely. And like pretty special, too, for fans to be able to go back there and think about the people who had stood in the same spots as them. Oh, oh, I know. (laughs) Down in Nashville. (laughs) Following on the country music theme again, first we had the Hall of Fame and the Grand Ole Opry where you get to see voices from countries past. But if you make your way down to Broadway, which is the main drag for all of the honky-tonk bars and kind of the wild nightlife of Nashville, you'll find a lot of bars that are owned by country stars. For example, Jason Aldean, Blake Shelton, Dirks Bentley, Luke Bryant, Florida Georgia Line, Kid Rock, just to name a few. All of these super famous country stars have their own bars that they built and they're on this stretch of Broadway. And so when you go to Nashville and looking for a party, <laughs> if you've listened to any country music ever, you know that they know how to throw a party. I've heard that Blake Shelton had one, but I didn't realize that so many different artists have one down there. Yeah, seriously. The thing that stood out to me about the bars in Nashville, especially on Broadway, is they're so stinking big. Like all of them are at least two or three stories. They all have different rooms. Some of them have different bands in different rooms. So kind of throwing it back to Budapest, the big bars, Nashville Mm. totally took a nod from that. But I love that there's like stages and stuff to showcase the music. Absolutely. And on Broadway, it's not just a nightlife kind of place. You can even go in the middle of the day on a weekend, go for day drinking. And they always have local talent that are, 
you know, less famous or cover bands or people who are up and coming in the industry playing at all of the bars too. So there's always live music wherever you go. Day drinking. (laughs) My favorite hobby. (laughs) Nashville, I would say, if you're comparing it to other U.S. cities, Nashville is very similar to Austin, Texas and New Orleans, in which they have very rich cultural and food scenes and also very rich partying scenes, partying scenes as well. (laughs) So that's pretty fun. I enjoyed being able to go out when we were in Nashville. Another neat thing, the last neat thing I'll tell you about for Nashville that is a must-see for country music fans are um, there's two venues. One is called Bluebird Cafe, and one is called The Listening Room, where you can hear up-and-coming songwriters and performers perform. Bluebird Cafe is super famous now because it was featured on the ABC show Nashville, and it's also where Taylor Swift was discovered. So, yeah. <laughs> That's really cool. I mean, I loved Hayden Pantanier. So I, anything that she's been in, I definitely try and watch um, from Heroes to, of course, Nashville. And yeah, that was definitely a prominent spot that they're always at was the Bluebird and being performing at the Bluebird or going to watch music at the Bluebird. So I didn't, I don't know if I clued in that it was a real place. Yeah, it's a real place and actually truly where people have been discovered, like Taylor Swift. And um, it's been hosting... So we didn't end up going to the Bluebird while we were there. Um, It's actually pretty far outside of Nashville, or at least the downtown area. Nashville itself is pretty spread out. They have the downtown area, and then they have a couple of little neighborhoods like Germantown, 12 South, the Gulch, just to name a few, that are all spread out in different directions between 10 and 20 minutes driving outside of downtown. So it's a spread out city. I mean, you could spend a whole weekend just on Broadway and in that area going to the Country Music Hall of Fame and seeing a sports games or something like that downtown. But I'd really encourage everyone to, you know, these kind of performances where there'll be three or four up and coming singer songwriters on a stage telling stories, singing their songs, doing performances together, having open mic nights. Um, It's been open since the 80s. So it's a pretty cool spot intimidating to do an open mic night there I know right (laughs) you better be good but I mean exciting too if you have the opportunity to potentially be discovered too definitely lots of producers probably hanging out there and people who are pretty high up in the industry get outside of the city a little bit go explore the other neighborhoods because that's where you'll find the best food scenes and bars and cute little boutiques and things like that too so we didn't end up going to Bluebird because it was so far away But we did end up going to the listening room, which is a similar concept as Bluebird, where they bring in singer-songwriters that are up and coming in Nashville. And it's a two-hour performance where they tell stories and sing their songs. I honestly was not excited to go. I thought it was going to be super touristy and dumb. (laughs) I love the name of the venue. It's got a cute name. Um, we We walked in there. And I was like, okay, this will be cool. And then we get in there and it was like a concrete floor and a ton of tables and then a stage. And so it was like a dinner service kind of thing where you could order dinner. Um, They'd bring drinks to your tables while you're watching this performance. And so I was like, oh, it's going to be really touristy. Like this is not going to be legit. Goosebumps. I had literal goosebumps. These people were so good. I was so surprised. It was three singer songwriters who, I mean, one of the 
the girls that performed, she had been in Nashville for like 12 or 15 years and was still, you know, not discovered or anything. And it was really interesting to hear her story. And she sang this one song about the struggles of being an artist in Nashville that, I don't know, felt real. <laughs> you could feel her pain in the, the music and the words. Exactly. So do you um, dance or it's kind of, it's all table service. They bring it to you and you really just sit there and like soak the music in. It's all table, table service. They just bring you the food. There's no dancing. It's more just like sitting and listening, which that's why I was like, maybe this is super touristy. And then as I was um, doing the research for this episode, I read a interview with Kelsey Ballerini, who's a very famous country music star. And she said one of her pl- favorite places to go is the listening room. And I was like, okay, okay. <laughs> that sounds <laughs> legit. Really, really intimate sitting there and just not doing nothing but listening. Definitely. My favorite person that we listened to that night was this guy named Bobby Hamrick. And I ended up looking him up on Spotify and like all of the songs that he played were on there and now he's one of my most listened to artists so kind of neat to find new music that I ended up really liking there too (laughs) that's so cute and then you listen to him and think back on your fun times in Nashville exactly so going moving into the food scene in Nashville if you are not a fan of country music you'll definitely be a fan of Nashville food Uh, similarly to New Orleans Nashville has a really incredible up-and-coming food scene. It's a lot of modern takes on food. There's a lot of fine dining options that don't feel like fine dining. Like all the restaurants are very artfully and artistically made in just thinking interior design. And then even on top of that, the food's really good. So it's really modern decor and neat restaurant architecture and layouts. And then layered on top of that, really delicious food. My fork's up. I'm ready. What are we yeah, digging into? Let's go. <laughs> So I'm going to highlight um, a couple of my favorite spots that I went to in Nashville. Of course, I'm sure there are so many more that I am not getting to. But so Butcher and Bee, it's like fine dining quality food that's very locally sourced. Um, that's kind of their whole point is that they want to make sure all of their food is locally sourced. So their menus are rotating all the time. Um, but it has a very homey and down to earth feel on the inside. The decor is really beautiful. It feels like you're having a home-cooked meal by a very professional chef. So their food is a Mediterranean-style food with a southern twist. Um, Think like bacon-wrapped dates or whipped feta with honey on warm pita bread. Oh, Mm. I can still taste that whipped feta. It was so good. (laughs) Cheese. Literally. (laughs) They made a name for themselves with their sandwiches that are pretty fancy artisanal um but they also have a lot of vegetarian or veggie forward dishes they still serve meat but it's kind of neat to see their ways of bringing vegetables really highlighting those on the menu so while we were there i had lamb kebab that had israeli couscous and this lemon yogurt like chutney almost on top that was oh my god to die for i can still like see the sizzling and smell like <laughs> all of the spices that went to the kebabs probably like some parsley and onions and garlic oh it's so good <laughs> surprise this is a cooking show <laughs> and then we whisk <laughs> yeah right <laughs> and then my friends we also shared um roasted cauliflower which was phenomenal and we had some 
my one friend got my absolute favorite spot that we went to was called Butcher and Bee. And it's in East Nashville, which is across the river from downtown, about 10 or 15 minutes. Turnip, cacio e pepe. So instead of spaghetti noodles, it was like spiralized turnip. And she said it was to die for, which I don't know if I'm that adventurous, but she was. Yeah, I've heard of zoodles. I haven't heard of turnip as noodles. <laughs> that is I don't know. Apparently they do it really well. You wouldn't think of like the big platters. Another great restaurant that we went to is called Fifth and Taylor. It's in the Germantown neighborhood, which is another, again, 10 minutes from downtown slash Broadway area, but in the northern direction instead of on the east side. Fifth and Taylor, also kind of fine dining quality of food and more of a fine dining atmosphere than Butcher and Bee has. But the thing about Fifth and Taylor is they have family style dinners. And so, which is like not at all what you would expect from a fine dining establishment. Yeah, not at all where my mind goes. Exactly. So it's like family supper, but the funny thing is like they serve like baked meatloaf and beer can chicken and fried chicken and pot roast. So while it is, you know, very fancy atmosphere, it feels like there's a lot of eclectic artwork on the walls. There's this giant statue of like a man riding a horse in the middle of the restaurant. It's in this warehouse. It's got incredible vibes. But then you get to share your food. (laughs) And it's homey comfort food. (laughs) Yeah. So it's comfort food, but you like dress up to go to the restaurant. It was fun. We had a great meal. So mixed mashed. I like it. Yeah. We, when we got there, we just asked the waiter. We were like, well, what's your favorite thing? And so he just brought out his favorite stuff. We had Um, fried chicken. We had this fish dish. Um, We had an incredible, it wasn't chocolate cake, but it was like almost like a, you know, those like melting cakes, those Mm -hmm. lava cakes that are like gooey on the inside. It was one of those. It was really good. Those are my favorite desserts. (laughs) I'm drooling. Seriously. (laughs) We were totally in a food coma that night. (laughs) But you can't be, you have to be able to like go see music and stuff. (laughs) Oh, we did. Don't worry. (laughs) You sleep it off in your Uber ride from one place to another. (laughs) I love that. Uh, And a great little neighborhood that is closer to downtown is called the Gulch. And the Gulch is famous because they have these big wall murals that are on outsides of buildings that you've probably seen in Instagram posts. It's like those huge butterfly wings that people stand in the middle of and take pictures with. And Mm -hmm. another one that says we love Nashville. So super touristy tons of people taking instagram pictures but they also have really good brunch restaurants there so we went to one called milk and honey which is a modern american food like they have breakfast bowls that have quinoa avocado kale fried egg and feta so good and then also artisanal sandwiches like their turkey and brie or a buttermilk fried chicken and of course in any true southern party city style they have a full bar and a lot of fun brunch cocktails which is the original hot chicken shack in nashville i love that you can have fried chicken for breakfast lunch or dinner (laughs) they do not care in nashville (laughs) so nashville speaking of fried chicken nashville's known for its hot chicken which is fried chicken that's coated and spiced with cayenne pepper So you got to really like spicy food if you want to have this, which I was not about, but people say it's to die for. Yeah, my tongue hurts just thinking about that. I know, seriously. (laughs) But it's kind of got a fun story that goes with it. Um, The story goes that 
the hot chicken we know today was created by the family that owns Prince's Hot Chicken Shack, which is like the original chick- hot chicken shack in, New- in Nashville. Uh, the story goes that the owners, the current owners, great uncle Thornton was supposedly a bit of a womanizer in the 1930s. And after a particularly late evening, like a night out, he came home to his girlfriend and she was really mad at him for being out so late. And so she decided to cook him a fried chicken breast for breakfast with extra pepper as revenge. But it turns out Thornton, great uncle Thornton, really liked it and thought it was the best she'd ever made. (laughs) And so ended up taking the recipe and opening up his own shop. What? So he made a bit, some money off of her, like, revenge scheme. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. So the girlfriend didn't last very long, but the hot chicken did. The hot chicken was around for for ages to come. Seriously. So you can still go to Prince's and get hot chicken. Hattie B's is another good option for hot chicken. And a lot of restaurants throughout the city have their own twists on hot chicken. So it's pretty easy to find anywhere in the city. And those are my tips and tricks for visiting Nashville. We focused on the country music scene and the food. Of course, there's so much more that I could go into, but that would take a whole podcast. And we have a true crime story to hear about. We sure do have some true crime. Today, I am covering the 1973 murder of David Stringbean Aikman and his wife, Estelle Aikman. So, David Stringbean Aiken was an American singer, songwriter, musician, comedian, actor, and semi-professional baseball player. So he kind of did jack of all trades over there. Yeah, he was definitely active in lots of talents in the. And then he was also, of course, a member of the Grand Ole Opry. So he was. I was going to ask, was he a member of the Grand Ole Opry? You bet. Most well known for being a cast member on the hit television show, which of course I've never heard of, but it was called Yeehaw. Stringbean was born on the 4th of July in 1916, your favorite holiday. So patriotic. (laughs) In the Green Hills of Kentucky. This is like the cutest little bit. He fashioned his first banjo at the age of seven out of a shoebox and some thread. How sweet! Doesn't that like invoke the cutest mental image? That's so folky of him. (laughs) Or very like southern, very southern. Music ran in his family, so his family actually encouraged him to pursue music. And at the age of twelve, he traded in a pair of chickens for a real banjo. Wow, those chickens can real really go a long way there in the south. (laughs) Well, and what I think is interesting is it's the 1900s, so I wouldn't think that this is a time period where people are like yeah go chase your dreams I feel like they would be more to the side of music's not a career like what are you doing yeah Um, definitely but it sounds like in Nashville that's true and maybe he just has a great family (laughs) yeah true (laughs) so the beginning of his career had him entering a talent contest it was judged by the singer guitarist Asa Martin who of course also before my time so I haven't heard of him but Stringbean was so talented, he won the contest and landed a spot in Martin's band. During Can we one talk of- about more about how this guy's name is Stringbean? I just oh. think it's so funny. <laughs> you beat me right to the punchline. During one of their first appearances, um, Martin forgot Aikman's name. So instead of being like, oh, this is my new member, like David a- Aikman, he introduced him as Stringbean because he was a tall, thin-built man. 
or boy, I guess at this point, but the nickname just became part of his onstage persona. Oh my gosh. Imagine being him though. And you're like jamming out. You're so excited that you're in this band. And then the lead singer forgets your name. (laughs) Well, and you know, he's probably looking up to this guy because he's the judge at the contest. Right. And then he's probably super famous. (laughs) Right. Exactly. And he (laughs) forgets your name, but it's like also kind of sweet because then looking forward, he thinks back to he got his nickname from this time from being in this band. That's so, so true. <laughs> it was pretty cute. String Bean's biggest musical break came from semi-professional baseball, um, which was known to be a favorite career path for several country stars at the time. The bluegrass giant Bill Monroe owned a baseball club and played against String Bean. String Bean would sling fast balls right across the diamond, which caused Monroe to inquire about the pitcher to learn that he was actually a musician himself. Can you believe it? (laughs) I cannot. Uh, Because it was like the 1940s, they of course didn't have internet yet. So in order to market Monroe's band, he would play baseball against the locals to drum up interest in the band when he was on tour. So because String Bean was a talented, both at, you know, of course the banjo, but also at baseball, he got String Bean to join the band back when String Bean was 27, in order to help um, with the marketing of band when they were on tour. Love it. Baseball and country music, nothing can get better. And he was born on the 4th of July, man. Hand in hand. We just need some apple pie. What an American. (laughs) We'll be full-hearted American. To his fans, String Bean was this gangly, peculiar man, and that's how his friends thought of him, too. He used apple vinegar (laughs) as shaving lotion and rubbing alcohol for deodorant. What? Yeah. Why? <laughs> He's just a weird dude. <laughs> That's what he did. He would eat pigs, but he wouldn't touch anything from a cow or eat any dairy. And he would make some extra money hunting wild ginseng, so like wild geese, and then selling it to the Chinese. Yeah. But most notable about string bean was that he would keep $100 bills in his overalls because he didn't trust the banks after the Great Depression. <laughs> That's awesome. Tuck it away for later. <laughs> we'll come back to that. A little okay. bit of knowledge. So during his time touring with Monroe, this is when String Bean became a bit of the television star and when he started to get his toes into comedy. Another performer was supposed to go on in like a halftime show, but was sick. So String Bean stepped in and of course the crowd loved him. From there, String Bean married the former Estelle Stanfield in 1945 and left Monroe's band. It was also around this time that String Bean became good friends with arguably the first Grand Old Opry superstar, Uncle Dave Megan. Ooh! Yes, very exciting to be big friends with one of the greats. And he started getting a specific persona on stage. So he would wear the shirt with an exceptionally long waist and then tuck it into a pair of short blue jeans around his knees. So this on-stage outfit just accentuated how tall he was, and it made him look like he had really short legs and, like, really big torso. They both had a deep connection to the banjo and a certain rural, laid-back, really like the country way of life, so they clicked really instantly over these things. And Uncle Dave Macon brought him into the Opry and took him under his wing. So he kind of got a mentor out of this friendship as well, which is super cute. Fun fact, 
Uncle Dave was actually the very first performer on the Grand Ole Opry. Oh, so not only was he one of the big guys, he was literally the first guy. The first. I love that. That's so cute. Megan passed away in 1952. So when this happened, people looked at Strain Bean as the obvious choice to take his spot in the Grand Ole Opry. From there, Strain Bean's legend continued to grow. He didn't record solo material until a decade after being kind of thrust upon into the limelight and into the Opry, but he played and recorded with countless country stars. Life's good for String Bean. He had a successful career. Things are looking great until- Yeah, I'm getting worried about where this true crime (laughs) comes in. I like String Bean. (laughs) I know, you're like rooting for him. He's living a great life. He He seems like a good guy. I hope he's not the one who commits the crime. He's not, but- (laughs) This part's not good. Oh, dear. You're not going to like it. <laughs> yeah, things are good until the faithful night of November 10th, 1973. String Bean had a gig at the Opry, was playing some songs, and then decided to relax backstage for some time with Estelle and some friends to discuss String Bean's upcoming hunting trip. So they're discussing, they're hanging back, they're probably kicking open a cold one, just enjoying their time together. And then... I don't know, maybe it's a style, maybe it's string bean. Things get late, so they decide that it's time to go home. String bean changes out of his persona outfit and into his bib overalls and had $3,182 of cash on him. That is incredibly specific. He also had a pistol on him. And after changing, him and Estelle start making their way home to Goodlesville. Estelle had $2,150 in her bra. He definitely didn't trust the bank to carry that much money on him. Uh, yeah, one time. seriously. And oh, like, Estelle also didn't trust the bank. Yeah, either that or she just kind of followed String Bean's lead. But like you said, it was a lot of money. So I figured it'd be interesting. That's a to lot see. of money to leave the house with. You bet. I looked at an, an inflation calendar because I was interested to see from the 70s what it would be today. And it said that's $30,000 in today's money that they just have on their person. Casually. Me, same, same here. <laughs> when I leave the house, I take, make sure at least 30 grand just for, you know, accidentals. Yeah, I don't stuff anything in my couch cushions. It's always on me. For sure. Definitely in my bra. <laughs> <laughs> so they're driving home in the Cadillac and they start to park the car when String Bean realizes something's not right with the cabin. He takes his gun out of the bag and tells Estelle to wait in the car and starts to walk up to the house. It's when he gets to the door that he realizes the cabin's been just torn apart. (laughs) And a small fortune for 1973. That's a lot of money. Oh, yeah. And and behind the door is 23-year-old John Brown and his cousin Doug Brown wearing a Halloween mask and a stocking over their heads, waiting for String Bean to come back. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, they had heard the stories about how he would flash his money around. So after hunting through the house to steal whatever money he, they thought he might have hiding and not finding anything, they figured he would just get, amb- they would ambush him and take whatever money he had on him. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, kind of smart for them. <laughs> Easier to rob overalls than it is to rob a bank. That's true. <laughs> That's definitely true. Unfortunately from them, String Bean saw Doug hiding to his right and started firing shots at him. And this is where things interest me because people debate if the next set of events would have happened differently if he hadn't been 
holding the gun or if he hadn't shot the first shots Mm -hmm. because John decides to return the fire with his pistol and shoots the Opry star near his fireplace. It's during this time that Estelle had been moving toward the house and when she hears the gunshots, she begins to run towards the road screaming for help. She, of course, is found by John Brown and shot in the back of her head in the grass. Oh, poor Estelle. The cousins search the bodies and completely miss all of the money that they had hidden in their pockets and underwear. What? Yeah, they ended up finding $250 from String Bean's front overball pocket, but that's only about 8% about what the two of them had on them. Oh my gosh. So these cousins go to this guy's house because they know that he doesn't take any of his money to the bank and then they lose his money. And they don't find anything. Like next to nothing. <laughs> they get $250, which is 8% of what they had on them. Not counting if they had stuff in in the house. Yeah, that's karma for sure. And then just continuing on that like not well thought pattern, they take String Bean's bag, Estelle's purse, and drive away in the station wagon that String Bean and his wife kept for non-business travel. The next morning, String Bean's friend, who's going to go hunting with him, comes to the house and is kind of concerned when he sees that no smoke is coming from the cabin's chimney. And so he continues driving up to the house and sees Estelle's body, of course, outside on the grass. In shock, he continues towards the house and finds String Bean's banjo case on the front porch and String Bean's body inside on the cold fireplace. Oh, terrible. The telephone wire was cut, and of course it's the 1900s, so instead of being able to call the police from the crime scene, the friend had to continue going all the way back to his own home to be able to report the incident in. String Bean's murder marked the end of country music's innocent era, as this kind of ended the small town feel that Nashville had. The murders of Stringbean and Estelle had Nashville country stars feeling like they could no longer safely carry about with other town folk. And over the next several years, security and private estates began turning up the old fashioned way that Stringbean had really valued. And this made a mark in history because while Nashville music had seen tragedy from plane crashes and overdoses, this is the first really murder case that had rocked the city really was gung-ho so clearly about man these brothers kind of not only stole his money but also stole his livelihood definitely yeah they totally did this giant cultural shift in the area as well which is interesting so notably that this event could trigger how so many other people live their lives yeah absolutely and how a whole industry changes Mm -hmm. well i'm glad that he was able to turn around his life yes String Bean and Estelle's murder got a ton of news attention as the investigation and trial played out. And what I think is kind of eerie is that, like we kind of talked about at the beginning, String Bean was not only a musical legend, but he also had his television series. And he had about a year's worth of episodes already taped. So as the murder case is going through trial, new episodes of his show is, are getting released. So he's still being this big contemporary TV star as his murder case is happening. Oh, that is freaky. Isn't that a little haunting? That is haunting. Oh, that's the best twist this story has taken. (laughs) The Brown 
Cousins were sentenced to two consecutive 99-year sentences. Doug Brown ended up dying in prison in 2003. And John Brown, who's the one who fired the pistol that killed Stringbean and Estelle, was actually released by the Tennessee Board of Probation and Parole on parole back in 2014. So he's now 70 and out on parole. Man, but he was in jail for, what, 40 years? That's insane. Yeah, he was in there for a really long time. And it said that he would do a couple things that helped get that decision made. He had applied for parole, I think, about four times before it was actually approved. And it said that on the anniversary of the murders, he would fast and pray with other inmates. And correctional officers testified that he became an extremely positive influence on other prisoners and expressed a profound sense of guilt for what he did. Well, good. I mean, I feel like, what, he was only 23. He had no idea what he was doing. And those actions would have such a pervasive impact on Nashville. Absolutely. They were both drunk and on drugs as well. So I mean, not to try to justify anything, but, you know, he's at the beginning of his life. On a happier note, in present day, another family now lives in Stringbean and Estelle's cabin. And what is really cute is just like Stringbean and Estelle, the husband doesn't drive. So his wife brings him to work every day in Nashville. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, that's the same thing as Stringbeena and Estelle. She would drive him to all of his gigs. Oh, I love it. Maybe it's them reincarnated. Maybe. That's possible. And that's the thing, too. Neighbors and researchers don't necessarily believe that the story's true. Please use the cabin as a investigation headquarters and look pretty thoroughly at it from top to bottom. But it is kind of a nice, happier end, I guess, to the story that Stringbean and Estelle got the last laugh that the cousins came there to find money and didn't find any. Um, right. And made off with $250 and a 99-year jail sentence. Yes, definitely. And that was a good long, story. I like that one. Tragic end of Stringbean and Estelle. Yeah. Sounds like Stringbean was a great guy, though. Yes. I'll have to post a link to some of his either performances or like an episode or tidbit from his show. So yeah, I want to see the stage outfit. <laughs> no legs. All towards No those. legs. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. I hope you guys enjoyed our adventure to Nashville. Yeah, absolutely. I hope we gave you some good advice to go visit and uh, a good story to tell your friends. Definitely going to need a snack now after hearing all <laughs> the delicious food. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. Have a great week, everyone. We'll see you next week with our new destination. In the 1990s, several news organizations reported that $20,000 in deteriorated unusable cash had been found in a chimney brick in Stringbean Anastel's cabin. No way. Yeah. Well, but like also, why would you hide your money in a chimney brick? Like, doesn't that seem like the worst place to hide your money where the fire literally goes? On behalf of the flight crew, thank you for flying with us and have a pleasant day. On behalf of the flight crew, thank you for flying with us and have a pleasant day.